okay, in 1998, I went into the kitchen, I took a paperback novel, and I took a steak knife, and I cut right down the spine of the book. The book was Les Mis by Victor Hugo, and from that moment on, because of the mercy and the grace and the, and the compassion that I read in that book, it's been my favorite novel. It's also been my favorite musical, but I'm not gonna sing for you this morning. I'll talk to you later. Um, in fact, one of, one of my secret fears is that um, at some point while I'm wearing this and we're singing in worship, that my friends in the sound booth will just turn my mic on and punish all of you. Um, the scene that got me um, so passionate that I cut the book into pieces begins with a bishop and his sister eating breakfast with their fingers. Now, the bishop's name is Charles Francois Muriel, but everybody just calls him Father Welcome. And the reason that they call him Father Welcome is because of his generous and loving character, the mercy that he shows to everyone. I'll give you an example. When he became the bishop, the position came with a mansion, a giant multi-roomed house that the bishop was supposed to live in and do his work in, and he promptly traded that with the people using a small flat across town that was serving as the town's overcrowded hospital. He moved his sister and his housekeeper into the small flat, and he ordered the patients and the nurses and the doctors to take up residence in the mansion where they would have more room. That's the kind of person that Father Welcome was. The reason that they're eating with their fingers is because they don't have any silverware. And the reason that they don't have any silverware is because the night before, the bishop had invited a homeless man into their house for a hot meal and a warm bed. And that man was Jean Valjean. Now, if you know the story, you know that most of Les Miserables is about Jean Valjean. And at this point in the story, he's just been paroled from 19 years in prison where he was serving a sentence for stealing a loaf of bread. And so, as you or I would be after 19 years in prison, he's angry and he's cynical and he's bitter. And the bishop invites him in and feeds him and gives him a place to sleep. But in the middle of the night, he gets up and he steals the silver forks and spoons and he runs away. Now, the bishop and his sister wake up to find that their silver is gone, and I think that the bishop's response to that gives us a, another view into his character and the mercy that was in his life. He said in the book, I have for a long time detained that silver wrongfully. It belonged to the poor, and who was that man? A poor man, evidently. In other words, the bishop is saying, that silver really never belonged to us. It's God's to do with as he pleases. It's so hard to steal from somebody who so readily gives anything that he owns when it's needed. So during breakfast, there's a knock on the door, and the bishop gets up, and, and it's the police, 
and they've captured Jean Valjean, and they bring him into the room, literally holding the bag of silverware. And the police are standing there expecting to be congratulated for capturing the thief and returning him, but the bishop walks over to Jean Valjean. He picks up the candlesticks, and he says, I'm glad to see you. Well, but how's this? I gave you the candlesticks, too, which are silver like the rest, and for which I'm sure you could get 200 francs. Why didn't you carry them away with your forks and spoons? And he releases the police, he lets them go, and in, in one of my copies of Les Mis, I've written a note to no one in particular that says, this is my favorite passage in my favorite novel, in case you were wondering. I don't know why I wrote it. I guess I figured after I'm dead, somebody will find it and say, wow, he was deep. Um, <laughs> I came across that as I was preparing. I went, when did I even write that? I don't... Um, the bishop dismisses the police and he, he walks over to Jean Valjean with the candlesticks and as he hands them to him he says forget not never forget the promise that you have made to me to use this silver to become an honest man now I confused Jean Valjean because he'd never made any such promise the bishop was assuming that on him he says Jean Valjean my brother you belong no longer to evil, but to good. It's your soul that I'm buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Once I read that, I told Pam, you have to read this book. It's amazing, it's the most amazing expression of Christian mercy I've ever seen in a novel. And Pam said, okay, I'll, I'll read it when you're done, but that wasn't good enough for me. And so I grabbed the book, and I went into the kitchen, and I got a steak knife, and I cut the first third of the book off. And I handed it to Pam. I said, get started. <laughs> and when she finished the first third, I cut a second third off. And while I finished the book, she read along, and we had great conversations about that. I looked for the severed copy of Les Mis. It's someplace in our basement, but I couldn't find it for you this morning. I don't think I need a spoiler alert, because the book was published in 1862. You've had your chance. But Jean Valjean does change his life. He does become a good man. And like the bishop, he shows mercy to those around him. He, he cares for a dying woman, and he rescues and raises her orphan daughter. Um, he turns himself at, some point, at one point into the criminal court to save a man who has been wrongly recognized as Jean Valjean and faces life in prison, and he steps in. He risks his life on the battlefield to care for others, and he even puts himself in harm's way to rescue Inspector Javert. Now, if you're familiar with the story, this is the point where you hiss, because Javert is kind of the, the enemy of Valjean who pursues him, 
trying to punish him at every turn. And yet Valjean risks his own life for him. At every turn, the echo of the bishop's mercy and the, and the grace that he showed him pushes Valjean to show mercy to others. And reading that novel in 1998, I wanted to be like the bishop. I wanted God's mercy to flow through me to those around me. This morning we're gonna talk about mercy. We're gonna look at Jesus' teachings on mercy. Um, the bishop and his story with Jean Valjean um, gives us a picture of two of the kind of faces or expressions of mercy. So let's look at those. The, the first expression of mercy is forgiveness. When we think of mercy, we think of forgiveness of someone who has wronged us. When the bishop dismisses the police and saves Valjean from another trip to prison, he's showing forgiveness and relieving Valjean of the punishment that he deserves. Forgiveness is a form of mercy, and it's why criminals who've been convicted are said to throw themselves on the mercy of the court. They're begging for a reduced punishment. They're begging for mercy. The second expression of mercy is compassion for someone in need. When the bishop invites Jean Valjean into his home and feeds him and gives him a place to sleep, he's showing compassion to someone who's desperate. Compassion's often what we mean about when we talk about mercy. And it's why we have hospitals in St. Louis that were started by the church that are simply called Mercy. I know some of you work at Mercy. That's why it's called that. The thing that I love about the bishop in Les Mis is the way that both compassion and forgiveness flow out of his love for God and out of his love for his fellow man. It was truly unordinary both for a novel and for what we see in the world around us. And I really couldn't wait for Pam to share it with me. As we look into God's work this, word this morning and we consider mercy and compassion and forgiveness, I'd like to open with prayer and ask for his guidance. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship together and for the freedom to study your word. We pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to your word, especially around this topic of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. And that it would bring glory to your name. Amen. Okay, so we're in the middle of a series called The Art of Being Unordinary. And this morning we're looking at Matthew 5, 7, which says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, we chose the name of the series because when people live the way that is described in the Sermon on the Mount, it's anything but ordinary. In fact, Dallas Willard says that you could describe Jesus' day and you could describe the world that we live in today with this expression, woe to the merciful, for they will be taken advantage of. That sounds more like what we live in, right? And in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard illustrates the difference between the unordinary of Jesus' calling and the ordinary of the world that we live in 
with the example of a fighter pilot who after doing maneuvers in a cloud bank becomes disoriented and is flying upside down. And that actually happens. He says that that's the way the world is. We, if we're disoriented from the way that God's made us to live, fly upside down. When I first found out that I was going to be teaching on this, this one verse, I thought, okay, how am I going to fill a whole sermon on one short verse? But as I started looking into it, I realized that mercy, God's mercy for us and our mercy as it's expected to give to others is in every page, almost every page of the Bible. Let me illustrate that with what I think is a beautiful example. Um, What you see here on the widescreen behind me is a a piece of um, data art, and it is a a, um, collaboration between Christoph Rommel, who is a Lutheran pastor, and a guy named Chris Harrison, who's a scientist and an artist. And what it represents, so you can see this kind of sawtoothed line along the bottom, that's actually a bar chart. And each of those bars represents one chapter in the Bible. So there are 1,189 bars across the bottom, and the length of each bar represents the number of verses in that chapter. I just think this is so cool, I really do. Um, that, That longest bar there is, somebody said it, Psalm 119. It's, it's got so many verses, 176, that my daily reading plan splits it into three days. And that what you may not know is that two over from it, Psalm 117, only has two verses and is actually the middle chapter in the Bible. That's just free. It doesn't have anything to do with our sermon this morning. Um, <laughs> but what does have something to do with our sermon this morning is how we can go looking for mercy throughout the entirety of the Bible. Um, Let me tell you first that all of these lines represent cross-references between the topics or the ideas or the content of one chapter or verse and another. And to make this chart, they mapped 63,000, what's the number? 63,779 different cross-references. Now, some of you have got your cameras up, you're taking pictures of this. Let me tell you, you can find it by Googling Chris Harrison Bible cross-reference. So I put that up. Um, It is the first thing that comes up if you look for Chris Harrison Bible cross-reference. I like it so much that when I was preparing, I sent a copy of the photo to Walgreens to make a poster, and it will soon be appearing in my office. Um, Because it just shows us how integrated God's Word is. It's amazing. Um, I said that when we look for mercy, we can find it anywhere. Um, You can find it here in Genesis. When after God finds Adam and Eve having sinned, he has mercy on them. And he, he clothes them. And he sets in course a path of forgiveness and return. Um, You can find it in kind of a weird way here in Jonah, when in the belly of the whale, fish, 
Jonah prays, those who cling to worthless idols sacrifice the mercy that might be theirs. Those that cling to worthless idols sacrifice that mercy. Later in Jonah, after God forgives the Ninevites and they've repented, Jonah complains to God, I knew that you were a merciful God. And I knew that you would forgive them, and that's the reason I didn't want to come here and preach. Can you imagine? Um, In this longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, um, there are at least four messages of God's mercy. He says, be merciful as you promised. And David says, surround me with your tender mercy so that I may live. He says, come and show me your mercy. And Lord, how great is your mercy. I mean, we could go on and on. I looked at over 400 different verses on mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And it's beautiful. This morning, I want to focus on Jesus' teaching in two areas of mercy, where he teaches about the forgiveness element of mercy and where he teaches about the compassionate element of mercy. And let me just tell you that these two passages that we're going to look at in Matthew, for a long time were two of my least favorite. And they were my least favorite because they're so hard. You'll see what I mean. And we'll come back to it. But I think that this morning we can get a sense for what God is saying to us in these passages. Um, As we go forward, as always, you can find... All of the passages, I'll have them up on the screen, um, but you can also find them in the YouVersion app, efree.org slash Bible, and of course, you can follow along in your own Bibles. The first of the passages is in Matthew 18, and it's teed up with a question that Peter asks. Now, remember, Peter has been there from the beginning. Um, in chapter 4, we saw that he was called as one of the first Four that Jesus invited to follow him. He was there at the Sermon on the Mount. So when we go deeper into the Beatitudes in a few minutes, um, remember that Peter's there. Peter was there when Jesus um, preached in chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount um, and taught them how to pray. And Jesus' teaching was forgive. He taught them to pray, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then at the end of the prayer, Peter was there when Jesus, to make sure that Peter didn't miss the message and make sure that we didn't miss it, said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. In the flow of Matthew's gospel, Peter's question comes immediately after Jesus has been teaching about the lengths that we should go to rescue a lost sheep, or to reconcile with a brother or sister who's sinned against us. And and as he's teaching on on reconciliation, Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense, and if the other person listens and confesses it, then you've won him back. So maybe this question's been rattling around in Peter's head for a while. Maybe Since the time that he heard the teaching on mercy and forgiveness in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been looking for an opportunity. Maybe he's waiting to ask Jesus for some clarification about, okay, just how far does this mercy and forgiveness stuff go? 
In any event, this is what Matthew tells us about Peter's question and Jesus' response. Matthew says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should we forgive, should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, the commentaries that I looked at agree that Peter's being pretty generous with the number seven. That the teaching of the day was that you should forgive any particular offense three times and no more. And so Peter, coming to Jesus, wants to sound like, hey, I've gotten the message of forgiveness, I've gotten the message of mercy, and I'm willing to go twice three plus. But Jesus says no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. This is not the answer that Peter was expecting. So to make sure that Peter gets the point, and I think to make sure that you and I get the point, Jesus tells this parable. You'll find it in Matthew 18, starting with verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, the Greek says that that servant owed the king 10,000 talents which is someplace between 300 and 400 metric tons of silver. So on Friday's silver prices, that would be $219 million. Not a bad translation. Not surprisingly, the servant couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. And before we go on with the parable, let's just recognize that this is such a wonderful picture of God's mercy for us. You and I carry the burden of a debt of sin, a debt that we can't pay, just like $219 million, a debt whose punishment is rightly death. And God, through his great mercy in Jesus, paid that price and forgave that debt and reconciles us to himself. Jesus' parable continues. But when the man who had just been forgiven the huge debt left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Jesus finishes the parable with this. That's what my heavenly father will do to you 
if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. The forgiveness that we're to show others because of the, forgiven, the forgiveness that we've received is not limited. You can see why I say this is a hard teaching of Jesus and one that for a long time I honestly didn't like. There's an equally hard teaching of Jesus in the area of mercy as it's expressed in compassion to those in need. We find that in Matthew chapter 25, uh, starting with verse 31. It's a passage that is commonly called the sheep and the goats. And here Jesus is teaching about the end times and his glorious return. And he says that he will separate all of humanity into two groups like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then he will invite those on his right, the sheep, into his kingdom that has been prepared for them. And Jesus tells them that the reason that he's inviting them in is because he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. In other words, you had mercy on me and you showed me compassion in my time of need. But this confuses the sheep and they ask, when did we see you in need and show compassion on you? And Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus then tells the goats that they're to depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He tells them that they failed to show compassion when he was in need, when he was hungry and thirsty, when he was a stranger needing clothes, when he was sick or in prison. And they protest and say, when did we see you in need and not have mercy on you? And Jesus says, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And he says, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The compassion that we show those in need or fail to show is a characteristic of those who will be invited into the kingdom and those who will not. Now I said that these are two passages that I didn't really like. I mean, I grew up reading these passages and feeling like it was impossible. How could I live that forgiveness and that compassion? Every time that these were preached, it convicted me. This is where I think that our focus on the Beatitudes can give us some insight and some direction into how we can answer a key question. What do we do, what do we do when we are unmerciful? In listening to the first four messages in this series by Adam and Andrew, I've learned a lot and I hope you have too. Um, if you've missed one of the messages, I really would encourage you to go online and watch it and get caught up. One of the first things that I've learned is that the audience for the Beatitudes is 
those people that have already taken that first step to follow Jesus. It says before the Beatitudes start that the disciples gathered around Jesus. That was the growing group of people who said, there's something about this man and I wanna follow him. So the disciples gather around and what Jesus gives can be seen as an orientation. You say, you that want to follow me, here is an orientation for what it will be like. And, and that helps me. These people are actually going to walk with Jesus. They're going to spend the next three years alongside him. And so it helps us to keep that in mind. And it, in that light, it, I can see the Beatitudes this way. Jesus saying, if you follow me, you will be blessed. And let me tell you some of the characteristics that will grow in you as you follow me. Let, me. let me show you what I mean. Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the orientation is, if you follow me, you will be poor in spirit and you will realize your need for God. Think about it. These disciples are going to walk with Jesus for years how can they walk with him and not have a growing recognition for their need for God? How can you spend that time with Jesus and not recognize your own spiritual poverty? Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The orientation is if you follow me, you will mourn deeply over your sin. And spending time with Jesus and recognizing the price that he was going to pay because of their sin must have created a deep mourning and sorrow in the hearts of the disciples. Jesus says, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And the orientation is, if you follow me, you will be humble. How can you spend time with God incarnate and hold on to your pride? I mean, understand the disciples tried to and often they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, but every time Jesus will have none of it. You have to surrender your pride. Jesus says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And the, the orientation is if you follow me, you will be hungry and thirsty for justice and righteousness. The disciples are following Jesus and they're seeing the injustice and unrighteousness that's everywhere as they go from town to town and from synagogue to synagogue. And that must have left them deeply hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness and justice. And Jesus says, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. And the orientation is, if you follow me, you will be merciful, forgiving, and compassionate. Jesus is going around healing people and feeding people and forgiving people. And as the disciples followed him, he put the disciples to work doing what he was doing. Being merciful was a direct result of spending time with Jesus. Let me say that again. It's really the key point this morning. Being merciful was a direct result of spending time 
with Jesus. I think the same idea of orientation works for the rest of the Beatitudes, for purity and for peacemaking and for persecution. That being with Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year transformed the disciples. And this is true for us too. As we walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms us. That's the bargain. That's what we're in for if we follow Jesus. Following Jesus changes us in these ways. And wherever you start from, the path of following Jesus transforms us so that we start to look more and more like him. Oh, if we follow Jesus, he promises nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. He promises comfort and inheritance. He promises that we'll be satisfied and that we'll be shown mercy. He promises that we'll see God and be called his children. Spending time with Jesus produces mercy. The second thing that I've learned in this series um, from the messages that we've already had is that there's a progression or a sequence in the Beatitudes and that that sequence parallels our journey in following Jesus. Now, notice that the first four blessings are focused on internal characteristics. Poor in spirit, mourning our sin, humility, and a hunger for righteousness. Those are things that are happening inside us as we're following Jesus. But the final four, the final four blessings are focused on external characteristics, things that others can see if they're true in our lives. The first of these external characteristics is mercy. Spending time with Jesus produces mercy. Then comes purity that flows from the heart. Purity is something that you can see on the outside if it's true on the inside. Next week, Don is going to teach on purity. And it's a characteristic that I've seen in his life for years. The next characteristic is peacemaking. And the week after next, John Richardson is going to preach on peacemaking. And he is the perfect guy to do it. He's not only a local expert, but he's sought after nationally to work in bringing peace. And then the final week of this series will be Steve Lancaster, our new junior high pastor, who will preach on persevering in the midst of persecution. I kind of laughed when I thought that if the junior high pastor can't preach on persecution, really nobody can. And I'm really looking forward to Steve's message. You may be wondering why, starting with today, that lineup doesn't include Adam for the next few weeks. And I'll tell you that it has something to do with our church's kind of commitment to use a preaching team, which I'm really grateful for. Um, it has a lot to do with the fact that Adam and Jenny's baby is going to be born in the next two weeks. Right? So it's a great opportunity to give him some time to focus on being a dad and being a husband. And we're really excited about that. Let's take one more look at the progression of the Beatitudes and, and recognize that we're at the pivot between the internal and the external expressions in these blessings. 
We look at Jesus' teaching about mercy, and I think, how can anyone measure up to that standard? Standard. I think the first four Beatitudes have something to tell us about that. So let's consider the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. And let's consider the goats in Matthew 25. And let's hold them up against those first four characteristics. What do you think? Do you think that they're expressing a deep recognition of their need for God? Are they mourning their sin and the brokenness of their relationship with God? Do you think they're humble or proud? Are they hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness or are they more concerned about what's in it for them? You see, I think that the lack of poverty and mourning and humility and hunger are what produce a lack of mercy in those two teachings of Jesus. And so here's the answer to our question about what we should do if we lack mercy. And it's the same path that was offered to those disciples who were listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Spend time with Jesus. Recognize our need for him and spend more time with him. Mourn our sin and spend more time with him. Surrender our pride and spend more time with him. Desire his righteousness and his justice and spend more time with him. And as we spend time with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will transform us more and more to look like him. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The Holy Spirit makes us more and more like him. This is our orientation as disciples. This is the progression of transformation that we can expect as we follow Jesus. And this transformation takes place and it will be manifested in mercy that flows out of us to those who've wronged us and those who are in need. I want to offer a short epilogue on our message this morning. And it takes us right back to where we started with Les Miserables. When Victor Hugo was writing the book, his adult son Charles came to him pretty angry uh, about the choice of portraying the bishop as a man of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And the reason was that the priests of that day in France were nothing like the bishop. But Victor Hugo both agreed with and corrected his son, saying, this Catholic priest, the bishop, this pure and lofty figure of true priesthood offers the most savage satire on the priesthood today. I take from that that if we fail to show mercy, it sends a clear message to the world that the love of Christ is not in us. But when we do show mercy, the world takes notice and gives Jesus the credit. And you, many of you, have been a part of showing that kind of compassion and that kind of mercy. In fact, over the past nine years, First Free has given gifts of compassion every year to help people in need in St. Louis and around the world. 
Here's a list on the screen of some of the projects that we've participated in during that time. In total, we've given over $880,000 to help others. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna start talking about the two projects for this year's Take Back Black Friday. And one is focused on helping those who are in the most need here in our region, and the other is to help a Christian school in India to educate some of the poorest children of that country. I'm really excited about both of them. If you're like me, you experience times when it's hard to be compassionate or to forgive. As I was preparing, I was on Twitter and Facebook and reminded that humanity's invented all kinds of ways to be harsh and unforgiving and uncharitable to thousands or millions of people. It's amazing in the most horrible way. But as we close this morning, I know that many of us recognize an occasional lack of mercy in our lives. The path of the Beatitudes is to follow Jesus and spend more time with him and to yield to the Holy Spirit's transforming work in our lives. That's my prayer. After a closing song, members of our prayer team are gonna be up front and we would love to join you in that prayer or in really praying for any of the other needs that you have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness and your compassion. We thank you for the transforming work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that each of us would find ways to spend more time with you, that your transformation would be continual and completed. And Father, we give you the glory and the praise, and we pray that as we become more and more like you, that a watching world would see it, recognize your love, and be drawn to you. Give you the praise and the glory. Amen.